the opportunities that we have are massive. They are huge. The, the greatest need we have is for workers. And so first of all, I would like to ask you to join with me in prayer. Some of you are going to say, Brian, I've already aged out of that opportunity. That's okay. Join me in prayer. Would you pray with me every day that God would call missionaries to work in the Pacific? But some of you hadn't aged out. Hallelujah. Some of you could go. And that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about going. Have you ever have you ever pulled up to a stoplight and and it's red and the person in front of you stopped as they ought to be, right? But they got their phone out and they're doing this number right here. Huh? Yeah. And that's okay as long as the light is red. But then it turns green and they're still doing this number right here. Then what do you do? Yeah, if you're sanctified, it's kind of like a little beep beep, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but if you if you do that and and they they don't move, then what do you do? Honk louder. If you like me, you want to push your head out the window and say, "Hey, green means yes, yeah." It's awful when somebody misses the signal. It's worse when the church misses the signal. You know, I did a study of the forty days of of Jesus being with the disciples after the resurrection and found something like 32 distinct ways in which we are to go. Now, the good news is this morning, I'm not going to give you all 32, but I want to give you a few of them, all right? The first one is found in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. You've heard it before. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. If I were going to summarize the Great Commission in two words, I would simply say, go everywhere. Go everywhere. I've had more than one scholar tell me, Brian, you're missing the point. The point is not in the going. The point is in the making of disciples. Well, I'm with you. I believe in making disciples. I believe in doing it everywhere I go. But did you notice where Jesus told us to make disciples? He told us to make disciples of all nations. And it's going to be pretty hard to do from Pleasant Hill. If we're going to make disciples of all nations, somebody is going to have to go. So our going is important. The telling is important as well. You ever heard anybody say, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words? Sounds good, doesn't it? I understand what they're saying, right? You're going to live a good Christian life and, and all of that. But listen, there, there is a message that you and I hold that the, the world needs to hear. They, they need to know that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin that he lived a sinless life, that, that he died in our place, that he rose again on the third day, that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he is there praying for you and I today, and that very soon he's returning. But you know, not very long ago, Renee and I, we went to a little island called Koshrai. Y'all ever heard of Koshrai? Koshrai you go from here to Los Angeles and from Los Angeles to Honolulu and from Honolulu to Madril and from Madril to Kwajalein. And when you get to Kwajalein, you get on a plane and fly eight more hours to Koshrai. I mean, it's about as far removed from anything as an island could be. It's a little postage stamp of an island that you can drive around in less than an hour, right? There's only 6,000 people live on the island of Koshari. But when we got there and we went to church and we worshiped with them, the same Holy Spirit that was moving in our service here this morning was moving in their service there. Why? Because to God, everywhere matters. I'm going to give you another another go word. It's found in Matthew 28, 7. 
This is uh, the angel. The, Mary has just gone down to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus. But, of course, the angel meets her and says, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen. And then he says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. There is an urgency in our going. We have a, our, our, our harvest is of a perishable nature. We're, we're given only a short window of opportunity. Have you ever gone to pour your milk over your cereal in the morning and instead of it coming out in this nice smooth stream, it comes out clump, clump, clump. And you take a whiff and that's a bad smell. And the problem is right there written in black ink. It says, use by. And the date was two weeks ago. Hmm? Now listen, you can examine yourself closely. You will find nowhere tattooed on you an expiration date. But it is appointed unto man once to die. And after death, the judgment. Every person that you are going to interact with this week on the job, at school, well, I guess school's out, huh? In, in, a, in the grocery store, your neighbors, your family, every person you're going to talk to is an eternal person. They will spend eternity in heaven or they will spend eternity in hell. But you and I, we have got a short window of opportunity in which we can attempt to influence their eternal destiny. We really do not have time for casual conversation. Every conversation matters. I I urge you to bear that in mind with those you will interact with this week. But I would also tell you that in addition to those you are going to come face to face with, there are over 2 billion people people in our world today who have no one who speaks their language that can tell them about Jesus. And there is an urgency for us to get there and for us to tell them before it is too late because they too are perishable. So go everywhere. Go quickly. There's another one. John 20, 23. Go Forgiving. Listen, John 20, 23 says this. Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I'll be honest with you. I grew up in church. I never once heard a pastor preach from this verse. I started preaching when I was 11 years old. I've been preaching a long time now. And I had never once preached from this verse. It just doesn't fit our theology. Huh? I had always assumed that, that, that one of the translators was a closet Catholic. And he just kind of slipped this verse in there to justify the confessional. No, nobody ever felt that way besides me. I mean, we don't need somebody else to forgive us, do we? We take it to Jesus. So it just kind of it just kind of sits sideways with our theology. But but last year I got the opportunity to go to Tibet. I was way up in this mountain valley, about fourteen thousand five hundred feet in the valley. That's that's high. And I was up there because there's a group of people known as the Pumi. And there are no churches among the Pumi. And I went there to write about them so that you would read about them so that the Holy Spirit would convict you and that you would go and tell them. Hallelujah. Yeah. So they took me into this little village and and they they brought me to this log cabin. They told me, they said, Brian, the same family has lived in this house for the last hundred years. It was a stereotypical 
Chinese house. Had the red clay tile roof that come down in the little ski jumps in the corners. Yeah, y'all can see it in your mind eye, can't you? Had the big double doors with the symbols all over them to ward off the evil spirits. And they opened up those double doors and, and I stepped through and the first row of rooms on each side was the hog pens. Too cold to keep the hogs outside. And then I stepped into the, to the courtyard and there's a goose comes at me from this direction and a chicken from that direction and there's a water buffalo chewing his cud out in the middle of the courtyard. I'm in China. Over on the left-hand side of that courtyard is the kitchen. And they invited me in. I want you to imagine a, a kitchen where an open pit fire has been burning continuously for a hundred years. Every surface is covered with creosote. There's, uh, when they brought me in, there's a little bench over on the right side. And I sit on that bench and in front of me is like a, like a coffee table. And then just beyond that is that pit fire. And behind the fire is a shrine of some sort. Over, over on the left hanging is a hams and shoulders and sausages. That little lady there, she brought me a cup of green tea. And uh, she bring me to that cup of green tea. She stopped behind that fire and she tipped out a little bit of it in front of that shrine. And she brought it to me. And then she went and pulled down one of those shoulders and, and some of that sausage and she cut some pieces off of it. And, and while I'm drinking my tea, she prepares me a, a plate of food. And as she brings me that plate of food again, she, she stops in front of that shrine and she drops some of that meat off into the fire in front of that shrine. And then she brings me my plate. And, and I asked her, I said, Auntie, what's the meaning of this? Why, why, who are you offering these sacrifices to? And she told me, she said, I'm offering them to the king of hell. Now, you can Google the king of hell in Tibetan Buddhism after the service. Don't do it right now. I see some of you reach for your phones right then. Don't, don't do it right now. But, uh, but, but you can look him up. I will tell you, he is an ominous figure. He, he wears a, a crown of human skulls. He has a leering face with, with canine teeth. He, he holds in his left hand a, 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 a sword. In his right hand, he holds a severed human head. He's depicted standing astride a human corpse and encircled in flames. They believe that he guards the entrance to hell. I ask her, I said, Auntie, why would you offer sacrifices to the king of hell? She said, well, I, I know there are other gods, but they are too high for me. Only he can hear my prayers. So I offer him sacrifices in the hopes that when I die, and when I go to hell, he will be kind to me. Can I tell you that he mocks her prayers? He scoffs at her offerings. And he will not be kind to her. You know the tragedy of her story? God is too high for her. Matter of fact, He's too high for you, and He's too high for me. And when we, in our best efforts at religion and righteousness, could not reach up to the eternal God, He wrapped Himself in human flesh, and He walked among us, God with us, and He opened the door for us to have relationship with Him again. That's why our story must be told. You see, there's only one solution to this. Somebody has got to go. Somebody has got to learn Pumi. Somebody has got to sit down in her kitchen and drink endless cups of green tea until the opportunity comes to tell her of a Savior. You say, Brian, will she believe? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But I'll make you a promise. 
if she doesn't, one of her neighbors will. And before long, another and another and another. And after, after a while, there'll be four or five believers and they'll begin to come together and they'll begin to worship God and a language that has been used only to offer sacrifices to the king of hell will be used to lift praises to the king of kings. Why? Because the church of Jesus Christ, it is militant, it is triumphant, it has worked everywhere it's been tried because the gates of hell, even the king of hell, cannot withstand it. What is needed simply the one who will go. Now, I was talking to you about go forgiving. I noticed that the the back wall of her kitchen had uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of white ovals. And I, I asked her, I said, Auntie, what are the meaning of these ovals? She said, well, it's our tradition. On Chinese New Year, everyone living in the home will take their thumb, dip it into white paint, and press it against the back wall of the kitchen. Now, now there were, there were long, skinny ones, and there were short, fat ones. There were little, bitty, teeny, tiny baby ones. Huh? There, were, there, were, there were ones that were crisp and clear and bright and there were others that were so covered with creosote you could just barely make out the outline. But as I looked at those, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, Brian, this is a genealogy of the unforgiven. These are the ones that my church withheld forgiveness from. And maybe you'd sit here and say to me, Brian, I have never, I have never withheld forgiveness from anyone. And yet there's only one way that we can have forgiveness for our sins. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. And you and I have known, we have possessed this one means of redemption. And we have not shared it with them. I'm not saying that you maliciously withheld forgiveness. Oh, I don't want God to forgive those people. No, I'm simply saying that we know and they don't and we have not yet done what is necessary for them to know. You see, what's necessary? Somebody's got to go. I'll preach this and folks will say to me, Brian, now everybody can't go. Somebody's got to stay and mind the stuff and send folks over there. And I, I, I understand the logic of that, but I'm going to tell you something. You don't really have to worry about that. There'll always be plenty of folks that'll stay. That's, that's not your concern. You can go. Hallelujah. All right, I'm going to give you just, just one more go word. I have no idea what time it is. I am, I am jet lagged and... My phone is on the correct time. My iPad is still on Sydney time. And so that's just, uh, that's the last, last major city I was in. So I'm, I'm a little messed up here. But one more go word. It's found in John 21, 3. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. You like that? Anybody like to go fishing besides me? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I like to, I like to go fishing. Simon Peter said, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. I don't like how the verse ends. The verse ends says, and that night they caught nothing. That's not my idea of a good day fishing. Let, let, me, let, me, let me talk to you about what's going on here. You know, I had always assumed that in the 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension, that Jesus was with the disciples every day. But in fact, that's not the case. If you read the book of John, as you read through it, at one point it says, and eight days later, he appeared to them. In other words, there are some days in which they know Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, but they don't know where he is. 
there are there are some blank pages. Have you ever faced those blank pages in your life? You know God's you know God is here, but but boy, I sure could use him to show up right now. Hmm? So so let me let me kind of set it up for you a little bit. The disciples had followed Jesus for three years with the expectation that he was going to set up a physical kingdom and that they were going to be key leaders within his kingdom. Matter of fact, they they argued as they walked down the road, they argued about who was going to be the prime minister. That was was their argument. That was their debate. And then as they are approaching Jerusalem, as they get close to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, now look, there is the, the colt of a donkey there. I want you to go and get it and bring it to me. Now, you and I, we hear the cult of a donkey. That's all we hear. They heard the prophecy of Zechariah that said, Look, Jerusalem, here comes your king riding on the cult of a donkey. And so when they heard Jesus say that, mind you, they've been following him with the expectation he would set up a kingdom. Then they hear him say, Go get that cult. Their assumption is it's today. He's sitting up the king. That's why they threw their clothes in the road. That's why they started waving palm branches. That's why they started shouting, Hosanna. Because today, Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem and set up his kingdom. Today, they were going to be big men. And they go into Jerusalem. Jesus goes up to the Temple Mount. Can you imagine the anticipation that was building? And he looks around and he goes home. Well, tomorrow. Hmm? And for a week, for a week, they follow Jesus into Jerusalem every morning, expecting the kingdom to be established. And instead, Jesus antagonizes the religious leaders until Friday, it ends up with him being crucified. They have gone from cloud nine expecting that today they're going to be the prime minister to below the basement. And, and then Mary shows up and says, I went to the tomb. He's not there. Huh? And then Jesus shows up and even says, here, you can touch my hands and you can feel my side. It's, it's me. And, and you get over into Acts chapter 1 and you see where one of them even has the courage to broach the question one more time. And says, Lord, it, 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 now is it time? For you to establish the kingdom. Huh? I mean, they still had not moved beyond that expectation. And, and then there's blank spots. Where is he? And it's in one of those blank spots that Peter says, I am going fishing. You see, when you and I, when we say, I am going, I said to my wife as we were driving up here, I said, this week I have to go fishing. It just, it's got to happen. When you and I say, I am going fishing, what we mean is that we're taking a day and we're going to relax and just enjoy being out on the water and catch some fish and just have a good day. That's what we mean by that. But for Peter, what he was saying was, I've tried this political thing. For three years, I've angled for political position. And now I'm giving it up and I'm going back to the family business. It was was a decision provoked by discouragement. And the other disciples could have just, they could have railed on Peter. They could have said, think about Thomas, huh? Thomas could have said, wow, you thought I doubted. But what did they say? They said, we will go with you. See, listen to me. Christians go together. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we're here. You ever, you ever, uh, you ever hear somebody say, I can worship God just as good at the lake? Huh? Hey, I can too. As a matter of fact, I can preach just as good out there. 
Some of the best sermons I ever preached was just to, to frogs and to, to the fish. And, and there wasn't anybody there to get upset at me about how long I went or anything like that, right? I mean, it was just, just a good time. Just me and the fish and the Lord. That's not the point. You see, we don't come to church for ourselves. That's right. I can worship God at home, but I come to church because my brother, because my sister needs me. Because there's someone who's going to need a word of encouragement. Because there's someone who's had a setback that needs a hug around the neck and says, you know what? God loves you and it's going to be okay. We go to church because Christians go together. Pastor was encouraging you to be here Wednesday night. I'm going to tell you something. Every one of you that are here this morning ought to be here on Wednesday night. Why? Because that's what Christians do. We go together. Hallelujah. No, they, they passed the offering plate a little bit earlier. And they talked about paying their tithes. And we, we give our tithes. And we, and, we, and we give in the offering. Why? Because we recognize there's things that need to happen in this church, in this town, that we can't do by ourselves. But if we will go together, we can get it done. Do you know that's what missions is about? Yeah. That's it. That's what missions is about. Missions is about us going together. My pastor said she's going to take an offering for us, and I appreciate that. You know, sometimes I'll go to I'll go to a church and they'll say, "Now we want to bless the webs." And and don't get me wrong, but sometimes it kind of feels like you know, bless their heart, huh? Bless their heart. I mean, they got they got to use an outhouse. They take their bath in a river. Bless their hearts. We just want to help them out. Give them a little something to bless their heart. I don't want you to bless my heart. I want you to go with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I just got back from the Solomon Islands. I mean, like 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon, I got back from the Solomon Islands. And if you know anything about World War II history, the Japanese army was rolling through the Pacific and no one could stop them until the 1st Marine Division landed on a little island called Guadalcanal. I was just there. There's an airfield there called Henderson Field. I stood in the middle of it just two days ago. There's an airfield. The, the Marines were given the job of taking and holding that field. And they took that airfield, and then to hold it, there's a narrow strip of ridge just to the north called Bloody Ridge. There's a there's a there's a there's a, a, a beach there, and then it's almost immediately at the beach. It rises up to this ridge of about 100 foot in elevation. It's not much wider than our sanctuary right here. It runs inland for, I don't know, maybe maybe a mile. And then there's a, a little dip, a little saddle, and then it goes up to the mountainous interior of Guadalcanal. And they knew that to hold that airfield, they had to hold that ridge. Now, when those Marines climbed up on top of that ridge and dug their foxholes, there were ten times as many Japanese soldiers to the north of that ridge as there were Marines on it. They were cut off. The U.S. Navy had been run off. They did not have enough food. They did not have enough ammunition. I talked to one of the men who fought there on that ridge. He said we would go down and raid the Japanese camp to have enough food to eat. It was hard times. When those, when those Japanese assaulted Bloody Ridge, there's a, there's a foxhole down on the tip of it that I went and I stood in. Because when they assaulted that ridge, early in the fight, there was a Japanese soldier threw a hand grenade into that foxhole. There was two Marines in that foxhole manning a 50 caliber machine gun. Their job was to create a wall of lead across that saddle so that no Japanese troops could cross. When that grenade exploded, it blinded one of them and it nearly severed the thumb of the other man. But for five hours, unrelieved, those two men held their position. The blind man firing the machine gun, the lame man telling him where to fight. Alone, neither one could complete their mission. But together, 
they changed the tide of a battle, changed the course of history, and changed the destiny of nations. And I'm going to tell you this morning, when we look at two billion people around the world that do not have access to the name of Jesus Christ, we can look at our numbers here and say, but we're too small and there's nothing we can do about that. But if you and I will go together, we can change eternity. Now you say, Brian, what does it mean to go Together, I'm glad you asked because I wanted to tell you. It means you're going to go with us in prayer. Now listen, I did not tell you the things I told you this morning at the beginning of my sermon to make you feel sorry for us. But I will also tell you, I didn't mention a single thing we haven't lived. We need your prayers. When we're in those desperate situations, we don't need, Lord bless our missionaries. You you ever heard people talk about interceding in prayer? Yeah. We need some folks to intercede. We need some sincere, heartfelt, matter of fact, gut-wrenching prayer occasionally. So going together means that when we're out there on the edge, you're praying for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Going together means that you and God need to sit down at the kitchen table this afternoon and you need to look at how much money you're giving to missions every month and see whether that lines up with God's priorities. You say, Brian, how much are we supposed to be given? Well, I can't tell you. That depends on you and God. But I can give you some pointers. If you're spending more on pet food than you are on taking the gospel to people who've never heard, it's probably out of balance. If if you're spending more on your monthly cell phone plan than you are on seeing the gospel go to people who don't have access to God, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I mean, I could just keep going, right? I mean, we could talk about your cable bill or your version or Dish Network or, or we could talk about a lot of different things here. But the thing about it is, and, and I don't want to get anywhere you're mad at me, but, but the thing about it is all of us need to be giving towards missions every month. And, and the truth of the matter is none of us would have to give big amounts if all of us would give something. Hallelujah. So, you and God need to have a conversation. You need to just look at how much money you spent last month, and you and Him need to talk about it. Hallelujah. Yeah, there's one more. There's one more. For some of you, going together means you need to go down to the post office, and you need to get a passport, and you need to get on a plane. Father, I ask that you'd let your Holy Spirit just hover over our hearts right now. We've heard your word. The question is, what are we going to do about it? How will we respond? I pray you'll challenge us. Because you've called us as your church corporately to go. So I pray that you would challenge each one of us. Speak to us about our role. Father, some of those listening to me today, they need to pray more. All of us, all of us need to give. But God, I believe there's some that are hearing me today that they ought to go. And so I pray you challenge us and help us not to easily allow the enemy to carry this word out of our heart, but help us to hear and to respond and obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Pastor, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
Okay, so you heard that word. That was great, wasn't it? Wow. This was a a springtime missions convention for us that we did not have scheduled for. I mean, that that was good. I liked it. And we do have our missions convention scheduled for October, but this stirs me up. Thank you so much for that word. You can give us some music or you can come up here to the keyboards however you want to do it today. Um, one thing I, I, I really enjoyed about it, I know when you, you, you sparked my heart when um, you talked about intercession. Because if we're not careful, we do the God bless you message instead of interceding. Some of you know my sister and she was an interceder. And she's still my personal intercessor prayer warrior. We miss her around here, but she moved to the left coast and lives in Washington. Well, I called her on Tuesday. I couldn't get a hold of her because her phone messed up, but I got a hold of Wes. And I started talking to Wes. I said, Wes, there's a major tornado heading towards Kansas City. They had no clue. These were out there, but they went to uh, the Weather Channel. They, they was watching it just like the rest of us. And this thing was now... F4, possibly F5, just hitting the rural areas, but about to hit the major metropolitan area. And about to wipe out the Nebraska Furniture Mart and the Legends and the soccer field a mile wide. It was the strongest tornado we've had in America this year. And Wes says, would you want to pray about that tornado? Pray over right now. So he put her on the phone. And how many have ever heard June intercede before? Okay, when, when she is interceding, God looks over the four and twelve elders and he says, be quiet for a little while. Somebody is praying down there. Now, and I just made that up. That's not really scripture, okay? At the moment she started praying, I heard the weather reporter say, this storm has no signs of weakening. She began to intercede on the phone. Now, I know she probably wasn't the only one. There was others, especially those on the path. But she began to intercede on the phone that God put a stop to that tornado and stop it. And then Wes got back on the phone and he said goodbye. He says, well, I guess that's about it. The storm's over. He hung up. The news said, well, that storm has lifted like that. After they said, no signs of it weakening. Now that is the kind of intercession you're talking about when you need it. So when you wake up in the middle of the night and you say, well, I can't sleep. Could it be that God is waking you up to intercede for missionaries? Don't forget your pastor also, but I don't have to go through the things that they go through. But if he puts it upon your heart, the Webb family, God bless their heart. Because you know what that means down in the south, don't you? Now, you didn't go into details on that, right? Begin to intercede for this family. And I know um, there's no one here that is, is not familiar with the story that before we became his church just a month ago, how we went through a really tough time for two years and our missions um, given dropped by 75, 80%. And it's coming back up. And every time a missionary would call me, I'd say, hey, this is where we're at. I would, I had that conversation with you, I think. And, and I'm going to tell you, folks, it is coming back up because his church is now reaching more people. I know it didn't look like it this morning, but God is blessing us with people that are going to catch the heart from missions because we are a missional, a missional church. And that is going to go up, but I, I, I thank God for the finances. But did you hear the heart of our speaker this morning? It's not just the what you can write in a check or what you can put in the envelope. It's about go. 
And if you need to practice, go right here. We have a couple of grocery stores, a grocery store that has people there. A dollar general need to got some people that need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Your neighbors need to hear the message. Go locally, practice. But I'm praying the same thing that God will put it upon the hearts of men and women, boys and girls that will say, I'm going. And wouldn't it be awesome if mission trips would do, but it doesn't work that way. I've only been to a couple missions trips, and it changed my heart. Just, just by going on a missions trip changed me forever when I got to see how people uh, were lost and, and what missionaries were going through in a, in a third world country. It changed me forever. I have a mission right here. But it would not hurt my feelings if we had to say goodbye to some of you because I guarantee you when God calls somebody out of this church you might want to hold your ears on this one they're going to get a little bit higher missions commitment from one that comes up because they're home folks so you hear you hear it's waiting on you right now we're going to make a bigger commitment for you to go when God calls you, and I believe God's calling. We got some some students that we're going to be sending to camp. I'm going to pray that God put that missionary call upon these students that go to camp this year. Will you stand right now? I'm going to ask the Webb family just to stand right here in the center. And where you are, I want you to stretch your hands this direction. I want you to begin to pray for this family. Intercede for them right now. I'm not talking about, you heard the, the blessing. I'm going to lift your voices right now and pray for them. Whatever God begins to speak to your heart, begin to call upon them, whether it's safety, their budget be met, more be called to go in that area. Right now, begin to call out to God. Intercede for them in the name of of Jesus, God. text to everyone of you last night to pray what God would have you to give. Are you itinerating? Oh, I'm not. 
Thank you. The rest of you may be seated. Well, everybody can be seated. Missionaries have to have a monthly budget or that's their operating expenses. It's not secret, all right, that they have to have so much money. What is your monthly budget you have to have? I really want to know. $14,500 a month is their monthly budget. You say, wow, that's a pretty good job. No. <laughs> Out of that, their salary is not fourteen five. No. No. They have a, the, the, the missions department gives them a salary. All right. $14,500 a month. That is their operating expense. But there's also a cash budget. That is separate. The cash budget is to initially get there. You know, that's why missionaries that have never been in the missionary field, it sometimes takes them a year, a year and a half to raise up funds before they go. Now, the cash budget, what is that? That's, you don't have much of a cash budget. $12,000. And is that because you've already been established there? Because, uh, to the next island. <laughs> you can't even kayak there, can you? If you could, you would have been up here like this today. Get the missions. He might have had little legs like this, but he would have been like this. <laughs> well, I guess so because you couldn't take a lot of food on the kayak. So you see, that's a lot of the expense is uh, the island hop. One of the islands that, that he has that he goes to is the island of Pentecost. I like that. That's a, a Pentecost island. Well, today we're going to um, bless them, and this will go into their budget. Um, I know missionaries, when they receive um, special offerings, it's not like, woo we got a bonus. No, it, it's, it goes right in to make the shortfall. So I sent out a text, and I and I. And I I'm going to believe that those that are gone today, that God's speaking to their heart also, um, that they'll come next week and they'll, they'll just give also. So I'm just going to ask, just Paul, will you just come right up here and just stand right here? We're going to just ask, well, all right. I was going to ask everyone just to bring the offer, but since two of you came, we'll just go ahead and pass it out. Um, I've been carrying a, some dollars in my wallet all week waiting for this. I owe Steve Bricker some money. He's the one that does work for my car in town, and thank God he finances me. And I went down there to pay him this week. I probably owe him about 150 bucks. I, he, he, I'm just, he, he's on a retainer to me. I pay him continuously ever since I got these used cars. And so he obviously took vacation this week. And so when he took vacation, guess what? I set aside some money that I was going to pay him. I said, Steve took, uh, he, he went out of town. Well, he's just going to get his later. This is what I'm going to give today. So I thank God that we can have opportunity to give to missions. You had all night to pray about it, so we're doing it now. Song? Well, you're going to learn it. Oh, where you want 
time to go back by the display table today, all right? Good to have some workers with you. I'm glad you got your team with you. What's the name of your children? We would like to know. That's Drew. Drew, you look like you're about 14. Is that right? You're 18. Well, Drew, you're tall, like you're 18, but you still have that youth look. That is a plus for you. I'm telling you, that is. And then and Eli's back there. He's managing the table. Well, I didn't embarrass you by saying you look like you're 40. Okay, because that's good. That's all right. Forever young. That's good. Stay forever young. And then you have Alicia and Brian. For those of you who don't know it, there is a a volcano that you can just walk right up to and look down inside it. (laughs) So if you ever want to go on a missions trip, you do want to take at least a day to go, that's pretty neat. Well, God bless you. What an awesome day. Take time to go back by the the table and uh, take time to come over and talk to the missionaries. Ask them any questions you'd like to know because they are coming from a place that used to have cannibals. So, and it hadn't been that long since. Thank God for revival and people getting saved.